We'll open your Bibles with me now, if you would, to the book of Genesis. Book of Genesis, chapter 12. Let's read together uh, the first three verses of this chapter. If you have forgotten your Bible this morning, that's certainly all right. We have Bibles provided for you, the seats in front of you, and you're welcome to use those. You'll find this morning's passage on page 8 in those Bibles. Beginning in Genesis 12 and verse 1, here's what we read. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Imagine that you had the privilege of designing and creating a kingdom for you to live in forever. What would your ideal kingdom look like? What characteristics would you give your perfect nation? Would there be a a king? Who would be allowed to be citizens? What would the people of your nation be like? What would the culture and the customs be like? The truth is that neither you nor I could create a perfect kingdom. We don't have the wisdom or the knowledge necessary. And the hearts of man are too wicked for the peace and unity of any human-built kingdom to remain forever. Ultimately, every human kingdom will fall. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. The glorious promise that we are going to look at this morning is the promise that our God is indeed building a kingdom. That our God is building a nation. And His nation will be perfect, better than anything we could have designed or even imagined, and His kingdom will never fall. And what's more, if you are in Christ, you are already a citizen of this great nation. And in a little while, when Christ is is ready to bring us into its fullness, you and I as believers will walk its streets. In Genesis 12-2, we read of a promise that God made to Abram, saying, And I will make of you a great nation. I see in God's promise to Abraham actually four distinct promises. And our next four services in Genesis are each one going to be on a different promise that God made to Abram and how that promise is now being fulfilled today in and through the church. But the first one is the promise of a nation. 
And that's what we're looking at this morning. He doesn't just call it a nation, he calls it a great nation. This word great carries with it the idea is that this will be an exalted nation. This will be a mighty nation. This will be a large nation. This will be a distinguished nation. Over the next few chapters of Genesis, we learn about how populous this nation will be. Look at Genesis 13, verse 16. Look at Genesis 13, verse 16. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. That's a remarkable statement for God to make to a man with a barren wife, isn't it? But God does not pull back from His promise. In fact, He continues to assert to Abraham, this will happen. Look at Genesis 15, verse 5. Genesis 15, verse 5. And He, God, brought him... Abram, Abraham, outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. This is followed by that strange ceremony in which God Himself passes between the sides of animal carcasses calling on himself this maledictory curse if he fails to do for Abraham what he is here promising. In Genesis 17, there's a, there's a twist to the promise. Look at Genesis 17, verse 4 and 5. See the twist that God adds. Genesis 17, beginning in verse 4. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So Abraham will be the father of a, of a great nation and simultaneously the father of many nations. Now how's that going to work? Well then... <laughs> Another element is added to this promise that makes it all the more amazing. Notice the word everlasting in verses 7 and 8 of Genesis 17. Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8. Listen for that word everlasting. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Implied in this promise is that this nation, this kingdom, this people which will come from Abraham, they will be an eternal nation. For how can they have an everlasting covenant or possess an everlasting land unless they themselves are everlasting? Throughout the Scriptures, this great nation, which God promises to Abraham to be built by God from him, 
is described in all sorts of terms. Sometimes it's called a nation. Sometimes it's called a kingdom. Sometimes it's called a people. Sometimes it's called a country. Sometimes it's called a city. Yet ultimately, these all point to the same reality. An eternal kingdom built by God whose citizens are the children of Abraham. And Abraham lived by faith that this was coming. Even though it wasn't coming in his lifetime, he believed that God was going to bring this about. In Hebrews 11, verse 10, we read that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Every other city in the world does not have a true foundation, for every city made by man has its foundations in the ground of this earth, and this earth is one day going to be radically shaken and altered when Christ comes back. No man-made city that exists today will exist after Christ comes back and brings His judgment and the earth is made new. But the city of God's people will dwell forever. Today, Abraham's children live as strangers and exiles. This is not their home. But we, like Abraham, are waiting to enter our homeland. Hebrews 11, 13-16, speaking of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, says, These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, er they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Now, God's promise to Abram that He would make from him a great nation found partial fulfillment. Fulfillment in shadow in Old Testament Israel. Old Testament Israel reached its height during the reigns of King David, during the reigns of King Solomon. At that point, they were a relatively powerful nation. They were a relatively wealthy nation. They were a nation who had seen great victories in battle. This was a nation with a priesthood, a nation with a temple to the true God, in which God Himself dwelt among them. This was a nation that was feared by others and at times influenced foreigners to pray to the true God. But ultimately, Old Testament Israel fell short of what God had promised to Abram. Yes, Israel was a great nation, but they were never great like Assyria. They were never great like Babylon, like the Greeks, or the Romans. They were never as powerful or wealthy or as numerous as the United States is today. China, or Russia, 
After Solomon, the kingdom began a downward spiral and it never again returned to its former glory. And since 70 AD, Old Testament Israel has ceased to exist. National Israel was a foreshadowing of the true fulfillment to come. Those features, those characteristics of of its life in Old Testament Israel and worship which were established by God in its laws were meant to point to something greater, something higher that was yet to come. Old Testament Israel was the nation before the nation that was to come. The shadow before the reality. When we come to the New Testament... What do we find but a man named John the Baptist preaching about a kingdom that's about to come? Look with me at Matthew 3, verse 2. Look with me at Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. We can look at verse 1 if you like, verse 1 and 2. Beginning in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is this kingdom of heaven? What is this kingdom of God? Well, the Israelites only knew of one promised kingdom, that which was promised to Abraham. When John the Baptist was born, his father Zechariah had prophesied that there was one coming who would be, quote, a horn of salvation for us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember God's holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Luke 1, 73. Zechariah prophesied that when Jesus came, that one was coming who would fulfill the oath that God made to Abraham. What oath? The promise of a kingdom, of a nation. Through Jesus, who was about to come, the promises to Abraham would be fulfilled. And John the Baptist calls on these Jews to turn from their sins, for this kingdom is about to be established in their day, and repentance is the only means of citizenship. Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. I thought the holy nation that was promised to Abraham would be made up of his physical descendants. Isn't it having Abraham's blood running through your veins the cost of citizenship? No. Look at Matthew 3, verse 7. Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. How do you think they liked that statement? That stung. 
Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Citizenship in the kingdom of God, promised to Abraham, comes by faith and repentance. Galatians 3.9 says, So then it is those of faith who are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. In other words, dear friends, we now understand in the New Testament how Abraham was going to be the father of many nations and yet the father of one great nation. For Abraham's descendants are those of faith from every tongue, from every tribe, from every nation who by Jesus Christ are brought together to form one nation, one kingdom, the church who will live with Christ as his bride forever. It is one nation of people from every nation. And thus Abraham is the father of a multitude of nations in one great nation. Friend, if you are a Christian, you are a citizen in this great nation promised in Genesis 12, verse 2. Right now, you are away from your homeland. Right now, you and I as Christians are strangers and exiles in this world, but we meet together in services like this one to to practice some of the customs of our homeland. It is here that we speak the language of of our world and to remind ourselves that not too very long we will be going home. Our lives as pilgrims on this earth will be difficult, but it is remembering our homeland, it is remembering that we are part of a nation and we're heading towards our homeland that will help us to have courage to hold on in the hardest moments. Why did the writer to the Hebrews say that they were able to endure the plundering of their property with joy? Would you endure the plundering of your property with joy? He said, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. Oh, Christian, dear citizen of the kingdom of God, do you know that you have a better possession than what you possess in this world? An abiding possession. I want to ask you to sit back for a few moments and be amazed and be overwhelmed as I try and describe for you some of the characteristics of this great kingdom of which we who are Christians have been made citizens. Just mention some characteristics of this nation that was promised to Abraham. Number one, God is the architect. God is the engineer. God is the builder. God is the sustainer. God is the protector of this kingdom. And therefore, it has no imperfections. It has no weaknesses This is a kingdom marked by peace and love and beauty and righteousness. Evil has no place in this kingdom and will find no entry when it is established in all its fullness. 
There will be no pain, nor sorrow, nor sickness, nor death in this nation when it has entered all its fullness. Once we, the people of this nation, are ushered into it on the last day, we will know what it means to be in Zion, paradise, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, and the new earth. Second, there is no possibility that this nation will not reach its fullness and remain that way forever. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Thus, this eternal nation that is being built this very moment as Jesus welcomes new citizens by the power of the gospel, it will continue to be built until all of Christ's people have been gathered in and then it will be established on the new earth and it will abide forever. Third, this is a holy nation. Every human-built kingdom is marked by sin. Show me a nation that has no violence. Show me a nation without corruption. Show me a nation in which there is not the abuse of children or the trampling of women or the abuse of authority. Show me a nation in which there is no need for police, no need for prisons, no need for courthouses. Show me a nation in which there need not be an external legal system for the righteous ways of God are written on the hearts and souls of every citizen and they by nature both do and delight in His holy commands. Show me a nation devoid of idolatry, a nation devoid of dishonesty, devoid of foolish squabbles and hateful words. No such nation can be built with human hands unless they are the human hands of Lord Jesus Christ. This is a nation that can only be established by God. And dear friends, The good news of the kingdom is that God has done so. This nation has been established. It is being built even as we sit in this room. And you and I who are in Christ are citizens of that kingdom. Many of the citizens of this nation are in heaven at this moment. They are with Christ, the King Their souls are there with Him. Their souls have been purified and glorified, though their bodies, on the other hand, are still here on earth, dead, dust and ashes. But when the last day comes, they, their souls, will come with Christ and all His angels to this earth, and their bodies will be resurrected and glorified, and they in perfect soul and body will walk on a glorified earth with Christ forever. And if you and I, in God's providence, are still alive when Jesus comes back, then in that moment both our bodies and our souls will be glorified and made fit for that new earth. 
But till that day comes right now, those of us who are still alive on earth, we are becoming holy. We're already citizens of the nation, but we are now becoming holy by the work of the Spirit through God's Word. That's why we're here, isn't it? God's working through the water of His Word to wash us, to prepare us, to make us fit, so that when we enter into the new heavens and the new earth, we're not the sinners walking in. We're not the ones that's going to mess it up. We belong there by the grace of God. This nation promised to Abraham is multi-ethnic. It is not monolithic. The perfect nation which God is building will not be made up of just Anglos or Latinos or Africans or Asians, but rather people of all races and all ethnicities will live together as one people in perfect peace. It's almost unbelievable, isn't it? Almost. How interesting that immediately after God creates the different peoples of the world by confusing the languages at the Tower of Babel and scattering the people and making them into different, different nations right there in Genesis 11, what's the very next thing He does? He promises to Abraham the nation in which all the nations of the world will again be one. Unity and diversity describe our God. Our God is one, and yet He is three. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. They are distinct from one another, and yet they are one God. They have different roles to play in the outworking of God's plan, yet they are of one nature, one mind, one purpose. So also, the nation that God is building is one that will reflect that part of His character. It will be a nation in which people will look different from one another and will have different gifting and different abilities and different roles in the new earth, and yet they will be one in spirit, one in worship, one in purpose. In this nation, every citizen is royalty. Every citizen will be honored with both the privilege and the responsibility to rule over some aspect or some portion of the new earth. This is mysterious. I don't claim to fully understand all this. But as it was in the beginning, so it will be in the end. Man in Eden was created to have dominion. Sin corrupted that dominion. Through Jesus Christ, this holy nation will be a nation of people who serve God faithfully, exercising the authority and responsibilities given to them. And so we have that parable of the talents. In Matthew 25, And Jesus says that here are the words that we want to hear on the last day. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Perhaps when you picture your eternal future, you think that we will forever worship Jesus by standing around his throne and singing endlessly. As a child, I thought heaven would be one eternal church service in which they would be just singing and singing. And to be honest, I wasn't too thrilled about that. 
And I'll be honest, as a pastor who loves being with you on the Lord's Day and loves corporate singing, I don't think I want to do that forever. It just seems like it would get old. Well, I I don't think that's what heaven's going to all be about. The pictures we are given in Scripture seem to be that we will worship, <clears throat> excuse me, we will worship Jesus together through singing and those sorts of things, but we will also worship Christ by carrying out joyful responsibilities. That there will be some forms of service in which we find our joy as we take those gifts that God has given us and employ them perfectly to the praise of His honor. Again, there's much mystery. But in some way, we will have dominion in the new earth. We will reign with Christ. 2 Timothy 2.12 If we endure, we will reign with Him. Though what that reigning will look like for each of us is yet to be revealed. We will all be honored royalty with responsibility and authority to exercise dominion in this holy nation. Now, though in this nation... Every citizen is a king. Nevertheless, Jesus is the king of kings. There will be no doubt as to who rules this nation. There is no question as to who sits on the throne of this nation even now. And my dear friends, there could never be a better king of a kingdom. Here is a king who knows intimately and loves deeply each and every citizen. Here is a king who rescued each and every citizen from hell. Here is a king who has humbled himself to become a man so that he can truly know and relate to each and every citizen. Has there ever been a wiser king? Has there ever been a stronger king? Has there ever been a king of such valiance or courage, majesty and splendor? Another thing about this nation, I hope you're just enjoying this, embracing this. Another glorious aspect of this nation of which we've been made citizens is that every citizen is a priest. Did you know that about yourself, dear Christian? Every citizen is a priest. In the Old Testament... The nation of Israel included a priesthood. And these priests had great responsibilities. They were privileged to minister in God's dwelling place. They were the caretakers of God's dwelling place. They were the keepers of God's word. They had the privilege of speaking God's truth. And certain Levitical priests were given the duty of singing God's truth in Levitical choirs. They offered sacrifices to God. Regular citizens of Israel could not enter the inner courts of the temple. Regular citizens of Israel, they could not light the lamps or tend to the showbread. They could not join the Lord's musicians or the choirs. They could bring their sacrifices to God's house, but they could not offer the blood. Yet now through Jesus Christ, God is creating a kingdom in which every citizen is a priest. It is a kingdom of priests. Listen to 1 Peter 2 verse 5. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says to Christians, You yourselves, like living stones, 
are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. There's those two themes together. <laughs> a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. In this kingdom, every citizen is a priest. Every citizen serves in God's presence and offers up spiritual sacrifices to Him. Every Christian is now a keeper of God's Word, its principles and truths written on our hearts. Every Christian are now members of God's holy choir, called to sing together in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We are all kings and we are all priests by the grace of God in this kingdom. And yet just as Christ is the king of kings, so he is the priest of priests. For in this nation, Christ is and always shall be the great high priest. It is through him and him alone that we will stand reconciled to God and that we stand that way now. Jesus is the great mediator between us and God. He is the sacrificial lamb given for our sins. And He is the great high priest who now for all eternity presents Himself as the sacrifice lamb before His Father as the sin offering that brings us atonement. All of our kingly privileges and duties rest on His kingship. All of our priestly privileges and duties rest on Him as our great high priest. Jesus in this kingdom is the elder brother, the head of the church, the creator, sustainer, and captain of his people. In bringing glory to God the Father, he is the chief worshiper, the one who brings glory to God in the most utmost fashion, standing as the apple of God's eye. And it is only through Jesus Christ that this nation is loved and blessed and cherished and indwelt by God. It is through Jesus that this nation dwells in an eternal ocean of God's love. Brothers and sisters, are you not thankful that God has made you a member of this nation? The last characteristic I want to mention is that citizenship does come by faith. You become citizens of America by being born here. You become citizens of heaven by being born again. The evidence that we have been born again is faith. And all who rest on the Lord Jesus Christ are citizens of this great nation promised to Abraham. We do not earn, nor could we ever earn, this kingdom. It has been granted to us out of nothing less than the fountain of God's grace and mercy. Citizenship in this kingdom is freely and lovingly offered to all who will submit to King Jesus. Oh, unbeliever, does this not humble you? Consider the glory of this nation and consider what you deserve. Does it not break your heart that you have acted so arrogantly towards God? Does it not break your heart that you have refused to receive His commands? 
Day after day after day, you refuse to love his son. You refuse to heed his wisdom. You refuse to rest in him. Meanwhile, he's offering you gift after gift after glorious gift, including the greatest gift of himself. This gift of dwelling with him forever, of having citizenship in his kingdom. And day after day, you spit in his face. Do you not see how dark you are compared to His light? Do you not see your wickedness more clearly in the light of His goodness? Will you not turn to Him and rest on Christ and receive this great citizenship? Will you not turn to Christ in faith and be transformed and made holy? What could possibly have such a grip on your heart that you would refuse this. This has been sort of a brief, very cursory biblical survey of this nation that God is promising to Abraham in Genesis 12. Abraham didn't know all this about the nation when he received the promise. But let me bring out three implications. There are many more I could bring out for the sake of time. Let me bring out three because of what we've heard about this great nation that we've been made citizens in as Christians. Number one, in light of our heavenly citizenship, let us not hold too tightly to our earthly citizenships. Yes, it is a great blessing to be a citizen of the United States. Yes, we should thank God daily for the protections and the privileges that we as Christians have in this land. But let us not confuse the kingdom of America with the kingdom of God, because there is no comparison. And our allegiance to this earthly nation must never trump our allegiance to the holy nation of God. Why do I say this? I say this because there could come days... Indeed, I think they are close upon us in which certain laws of this earthly nation could stand in contradiction to the laws of the kingdom of God. That is, that in order for you and I to be faithful to the laws of America, there could come a day when we would have to be unfaithful to the laws of God. There are principles in God's kingdom which even now stand in stark contrast with the governing principles of our culture. There are principles concerning evangelism which run contrary to the culture of many parts of our nation. Is it appropriate to insist to someone else that their beliefs are wrong? Or is that intolerance and hate Is it appropriate to denounce homosexuality as an abomination and a threat to the welfare of children and societies? Is it right to insist that men and women were created by God as different and distinct for reasons other than reproduction? Is it not the prerogative of parents and not government to determine what is and is not to be taught to children? I assure you, dear Christian, 
that in your life, as you seek to follow Jesus, there will be times when there will be clashes between the principles that govern our culture and the principles that govern the kingdom of God. To which do you show allegiance? And were Christ to call you to leave this nation tomorrow, for the cause of the upbuilding of His nation, would you be willing to leave this nation behind? I am thankful to be an American, and I only single out our nation because it happens to be the one we live in. But the principle is true for Christians wherever they are. The principles of every human nation will ultimately clash at some point with the principles of the kingdom of God. Ultimately, we must know we are strangers, we are exiles, we are foreigners in this world. We are in it, but we are not of it. Second implication. Every local church should seek to express the characteristics of this holy nation in this world. We are outposts of our homeland here. That's what the local church is. It's, it's tiny little gatherings of the citizens of heaven gathering together here on earth to practice their cultures and their customs and to encourage one another to the day when they get back to their homeland. What is the Lord's Day gathering? But a gathering of people who have in common this very thing, that they are away from their home and together waiting for the day when their King will come and gather them together to be there. The culture of a local church should seek to reflect the culture that will be commonplace in the new heavens and the new earth. The same love and peace and unity that we will know in that day is to be tasted and felt and experienced in some measure right here, right now. The kingdom of Christ is not yet to come. The kingdom of Christ has come. We are a part of that kingdom and have been called to live as citizens of that kingdom on earth. And when visitors come among us, they should have a taste of heaven. It is in God's people that the prayer is answered, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Obviously, every local church can only be an imperfect foreshadowing of what the kingdom will be in all its perfections in the end. But as imperfect as our foreshadowing might be, God can use local churches seeking to live out the kingdom of God where they are as a great light in a dark world. This is why it is so important that we seek for every aspect of our church to be conformed to the instructions of Scripture. Because it is God and not us who knows perfectly what His kingdom will look like in the end. And it is He and He alone who can command us how we should live and function today to best represent what the kingdom will be in that day to this world. 
So when God gives us instructions about how the church is to be ordered, or about who can be a member, or about what a church is to do in worship, it is our duty to hear and to obey. Because these instructions are not only given to us out of His love for us for our good, but these instructions are given to us out of His love for the lost world. We must not think that God's instructions on these things are unimportant. They are vitally important. And so we must humble ourselves to search the Scriptures about what ought to be the the, the structure and the customs and the activities of God's people when they gather together to best bring heaven to earth in a way that people can see it and be drawn to Christ. Third, finally, Related to what we have said, we should long to be useful to Jesus as he builds his kingdom. There is nothing more important happening in the world today than the building of Christ's church. Nothing that compares with that. Once every citizen of the eternal kingdom has been saved, God will be through with this present world and Christ will return and the end of ages will have come. Right now we are in the carpenter's workroom in which Christ is building His kingdom. Once the kingdom is built, this workroom will be no more. Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14. Are you ready for your Savior to return? Do you want to see the the clouds roll back like a scroll? Don't you want Him to come and take you to Himself that where He is, you will always be? Then be about the work of building His kingdom through missions, through evangelism, as you seek to be a means of grace in the lives of your brothers and sisters. Don't waste your life. Jesus has you on this earth today for a reason. Don't you as a Christian long to be useful to God. Nothing else what you do with your life is going to matter in the end. Surely those who participated in building the White House or building the Capitol building or building the Empire State building felt they were a part of building something special. But all of those things will one day be wiped away. We have the privilege of being involved in building a city, a kingdom, a nation that will never end. Pray that Christ would make you useful. Long for more usefulness. Repent of wasted time. Repent of wasted energy. Repent of wasted resources. Think like Jim Elliott and David Brainerd and Andrew Fuller and these mighty Christians that God has used in the past and and you read their journals and day after day after day they're crying out to God, oh, that you would make me more useful. Send thorns in my flesh if you must to humble me. If that will make me more useful, bring those trials and tribulations. Only let me be useful to Christ. Dear friends, what a privilege and what a joy. 
to be included by grace in this great nation which God promised to us from Abram. It has come to us through Abraham's seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is by his work and his work alone that it is ours. To King Jesus be all glory and honor and dominion forever and ever. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, friends, if there's an unbeliever in this room, if there is a person who does not know whether or not they are citizens of heaven,